We have taken some time to look at some prayers from the Bible, and we've gone back to the Old Testament to a prayer that is often maybe overlooked, but we know the story of Jonah uh, very well. I mentioned last week I grew up listening to a evangelist who was a ventriloquist, and he had a dummy named Wally, and he told the story of Jonah and the, the whale, and then also of David and Goliath. Had a lot of fun growing up listening to that record, and even in the, the last uh, year or so, we've pulled that record back out and played it on our, on our new retro record player. Had, had fun listening to that again. But uh, we see here in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving. And last week, we, we spent some time looking at these points from Jonah's crisis. Jonah was in quite the crisis, an unusual place that he was praying from. And I know we don't have our, our normal kids program going on that we've been doing uh, for the summer, um, but I'm going to pick on uh, a couple of the kids a little bit tonight and uh, just see if they can give me a couple of answers as we go back and review a little bit from Jonah's crisis. Over here on the left, on my left, it be uh, to the right for some of you, but to my left, which one of you young people, you have to be under the youth group, you have to be sixth grade or under. What city was Jonah called to preach to? What city? Raise your hand. Yes, is it, is it Mason? Which one? Which city? Nineveh. Good, good job. All right, excellent. Way to go. He was called to go to Nineveh, but he didn't go to Nineveh. He turned around and jumped on a boat and tried to sail away. Uh, from the will of God, and he was there on that boat, and there was obviously a great storm, and we know the story well, and again, I refer to it as a story, we know it as a historical event, and it is a story, yes, but it is a historical event with great meaning and purpose, and they threw Jonah overboard, and he ended up getting swallowed, and I'm going to go over here to the right. He ended up getting swallowed by what? Yes, Corey. A whale. Now, do we know for sure it was a whale? What does the Bible refer to it as? A great fish. Good, it was a big fish. And it is fascinating when you get into the, some of the study and the research. Was it a dinosaur fish? Was it a whale? Was it a type of shark? It's interesting, some of the commentators and the scientists, and they try to figure out which kind of fish or whale or shark that it could have been, but it was a great fish. And we often refer to it as a whale because we think of how could a fish swallow a human being and him survive. And obviously, it had to have been a big enough fish for him to be able to go down into the belly of that great fish or that whale and he was, it was from that location that he is praying this prayer. So that's Jonah's crisis. It was caused by his rebellion. Uh, the word uh, hell there uh, is referring to the, the Hebrew word uh, sheol. And so there would be in the Old Testament a reference to the grave or to hell. And the context would determine from 
that context, we could determine whether that word Sheol is referring to the grave, the place that one has gone to when they die, that they are buried in, or whether it's specifically referring to the place of eternal punishment, hell. So he is praying from the place that he would consider his, his grave. He didn't see any way that he could possibly survive. And by all human, uh, if we evaluate it simply from a human perspective, from a scientific perspective, there was, there was no explanation for Jonah surviving other than a supernatural act of God. So we see that Jonah is praying from a place of consequence. Uh, it reminds us that God uh, saves the Gentiles as well as the Jews because he was going to Nineveh, and that, that city was occupied by the Assyrians who were wicked, ungodly, heathen, idolatrous people. And Jonah knew they could get saved, but he didn't want them to get saved. He wanted those heathens to die. He wanted them to go to a place of eternal punishment. What a lack of compassion. What a hardness of his heart. And that's uh, part of the problem and one of the lessons in the book of Jonah. But nevertheless, God had intended from the beginning of uh, his plan of redemption, he had always intended for the Gentiles to be saved not just the Jews. And that's repeated in Romans 1 and verse 16. For the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. And then letter C, we see here that God can save even the worst sinners. Again, in Nineveh, you have those wicked heathen people and they were violent, idolaters. They did not treat their enemies with any kind of compassion they did not follow the Geneva Convention when it came to conquering their enemies and POWs and that kind of thing. They were torturers. They were awful people. But when they heard the message of judgment, God did a, a mighty work. There was a revival in the city and it reminds us that God can save even the worst sinners. God commands us to be witnesses. Just as he commanded Jonah to go, we have, to, we have the, the responsibility. We have the command to go. And we are to uh, be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. We need to be burdened. And I'm thankful for those who have already been sharing opportunities that God has given them to witness. And we continue to pray for divine appointments. We continue to pray for God to give us opportunities, to give us a burden for the lost. And one of the reasons we're doing missions conference is because we need to have the burden of missions, the burden of the lost regularly and repeatedly before us. Because we get so busy. And as Christians, we come together, and we should. It's important for us as Christians to come and to worship together. But we can't forget our responsibility to go and to share the gospel, the Great Commission. God expects us to obey His commands. He, what He commands us to do, He gives us the strength to do. Jonah had the power of God. He had the strength of God to go and to preach in Nineveh. But he didn't want to. He didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't like the Assyrians. He did not want them to get saved. He knew it would be hard. It would be inconvenient. He was a preacher of the gospel, yet he disobeyed. And God had to deal with him for it. But God expects us to obey. And we may not ever be called to a place like Nineveh. None of us would probably ever want to in our own human thinking, in our own human flesh. We would never want to go to a place like Nineveh. But there are opportunities that God does give us to 
preach the gospel, to give the gospel, to share the gospel, to be a witness even to some of uh, the more difficult people. We're in a world today full of ungodliness and immorality, and sometimes it's just where you work. Sometimes the people that you rub shoulders with in just normal day-to-day life, some of them are the, the most wicked people, the most wicked ungodly sinners, and you are the, the, the first, in a sense, light, or you are the, the best uh, testimony that they have, the only, in some cases, the only place that they will ever hear the truth of the gospel. So what an opportunity that we have in this dark world to be a salt and to be a light and to obey his command to share the gospel. And God hears us from the places of our deepest misery. There's places in our lives where God allows us, where God places us, where God puts us, where we're miserable. And God hears us. It can be in those lowliest places of deep sorrow, pain, physical struggle, financial, or whatever it might be. It's a place of loneliness, a place of despair, where we can call upon the Lord and He hears us even from those places that would seem to be uh, maybe even the most forbidden, uh, where the world can't find their way out, we have, with God's help, we have a way out by His grace and by His mercy. And God wants us to call upon Him, even from those dark places, those places of deepest misery. So that's Jonah's crisis. And then that brings us to his contemplation. This is an incredible prayer. It's really a prayer of thanksgiving. God had rescued him. God had saved him. He's writing, obviously post, I don't mean to sound crude when I say this, but post vomiting out when he's on the beach and he's now sharing what God has done as he went and he preached and he shared the gospel and there was revival and we know what happened in the rest of the story. But Here's Jonah, and he's praying in his prayer from the belly of that great fish, that whale, whatever it was. He is praying a prayer of thanksgiving. Now, he is requesting, in a sense, a rescue, a salvation, but he's giving a, a, a prayer of, of praise, of adoration, of thanksgiving. In, in this prayer, we see uh, there in verse number Two and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Obviously a reference to being cast out of the boat and into the ocean, into the sea there, Mediterranean Sea. Verse 4, then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Verse 5, the waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever, yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. So twice we see a reference to the Lord's holy temple. We see that there in verse number 7, and then also uh, we see it up in verse number 4. So we see Jonah's contemplation was focused where? It was focused on God. It was focused on the glories of heaven. It was focused upon God's holiness, His place of 
of, 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 of abode, of, of abiding. God's place of presence, his focus was upon the Lord. And it reminds us of God being the creator and the controller of life. We read it in Colossians chapter 1 about all things are, are made by him and by him all things consist. All things are held together. I'm, I'm continually amazed by the news and the web telescope. I don't know if any of you have followed that. I'm not a big astronomy person, but I have been fascinated by the headlines. And then when you read any of the articles, usually a secular article, but occasionally I'll, I'll hear a podcast or I'll hear a, a Christian make reference to the web telescope. But they're finding these galaxies and they're finding these stars that man has never seen before. And then recently they have been able to get some close-up for what that means, I don't know exactly, but, but closer images of the planet Jupiter. And it's just incredible. It's incredible the things that they are seeing. And, and the, the secular scientists, the secular astronomers, they, they can't figure it out. They can't explain it. This one even came up with another reason to disprove the Big Bang Theory. I was thankful I at least read in one of these articles that somebody said, hmm, this has got us rethinking the Big Bang and how this could have really happened with all the things that we're seeing. How could the Big Bang have produced this? And we're like, yeah, obviously it couldn't have. For a lot of other reasons besides just the fact that we're seeing this for the first time through a telescope, we're quite this way. But it's a reminder that God is the creator and he controls life. God has sustained this universe from the beginning of time when he first created it in some of those places that we have never seen. Those places have been glorifying God. They have been speaking of his handiwork for all of these thousands of years before man ever saw him through a telescope. God creates and controls life. It'd be good for us to be reminded of that more often, wouldn't it? That we're not as big as we think we are. That we're not the center of the universe. We've done it with our kids sometimes. We hold out our hand and we'll put our finger there. And we'll say, you think you are right in the center of the universe. And everybody revolves around you. Well, it ain't that way. It doesn't work like that. I've done it with students in the hallway after they cause trouble in class. I'll point my finger to the center of my hand and say, you think that you are the center of the class. That you are the one to get all the attention. No, it doesn't work that way. And we see those images from the web telescope, and it's a reminder. We're just these little specks. And I remember going to the uh, Creation Museum and uh, watching the, uh, oh, the, I can't even remember the name of the, uh, the exhibit there, but the planetarium. And they took us all the way out into space, and then they brought us in. Now, if you get motion sickness, that would not be a good thing to be, uh, to be seated in. But that planetarium, that, that view was incredible. They took us way out in the space and they brought us back in little by little and they showed us where we were in northern Kentucky. And we were just this tiny little speck compared to the vastness of the universe. And it's just incredible. But it's a reminder that God is the creator and he controls life. Uh, letter B, that sin can shorten our time on earth. Think about the effects of sin, the consequences. God could have allowed Jonah to die in the, in the sea in that storm. God had other plans and purposes for him. But sin has consequences. And it can shorten our time on earth. 
We can go to the book of Proverbs and we can see in the book of Proverbs and we can see in Ephesians 6 where there is a command with promise that if we honor our parents, that if we obey our mom and dad and we honor our mother and father, then our days will be long on the earth. That is a command with promise we read there in Ephesians 6. So there's something about obedience. There's something about honor. There's something about respect for mom and dad and honoring our parents and honoring authority that God has placed that gives a breadth and a depth and a length of life. There's an emphasis there in those promises and in those commands to, to obey and to honor our authorities, particularly our parents. But sin can shorten our time on earth. And we see where rebellion, where disobedience often leads young people, and not just young people, but even old people who disobey, who dishonor the authorities. And how quickly it can cost lives. Let her see. Jonah realized that he had lost favor with God for his sin. Wouldn't it do us a lot of good to realize how our sin causes us to lose favor with a holy God who loves us in spite of our sin, who's a merciful and gracious God? It's not that Jonah is saying that I lost my salvation. It's not that Jonah is saying that I would be cast into hellfire forever. But he realized as a believer, he lost God's favor because he disobeyed. And I tell you, when you have that in a home, when I often think of as a parent, I think of growing up in my home, when there's, or even in a a married relationship, when there is a wrongness in the relationship, there's an offense, there's a disobedience, there's a disrespect, there's something that's not right in the relationship, there is a loss of favor. And as a married couple, we know what that is like and how we have to go about fixing that. And then there's the parent-child relationship, and then there's uh, other relationships as well. But we understand what it's like to have a broken relationship, a relationship that is not favorable. And it hurts because we are... People who are social, we're made social, we're made to have relationships. And our number one relationship that God created us to have is a relationship with him. And we talk about eternity being the heart of man and the soul and the God-shaped part of man that man tries to fill with all the wrong things. And only through Jesus Christ can we have that right relationship with God. But here is Jonah as a believer who is running from the Lord and he realizes in the belly of that whale, that great fish, I do not have God's favor. And I want to get that fixed. And that's something that should be on the hearts of every single one of us as believers, that we never want to get out of God's favor. And if we ever do, we want to get that fixed. And it's one of the reasons we have communion. It's one of the reasons we have the Lord's Supper. Because it brings us back to that place, once again, of contemplation and examination. But we should always be keeping short sin accounts with God. And then letter D. He looks to God in his place of reverence. I mentioned holy temple already. Again, wouldn't it do us good, instead of bringing God down to our level as our, as our buddy, as our thera- therapy, our, 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 our therapist, as our... Our, our, our rehabber, instead of seeing God as that sort of person in our life, wouldn't it be better for us to see God as Heavenly Father, as Almighty God, as Supreme Creator, as our Lord and Savior, 
it seems we lose focus and we get God down to our level and we don't have this reverence and this fear of God that we should. And Jonah realized in the belly of that great fish that he needed to look to God's holy temple and see God in his rightful place. And I think that many times we as believers, and I see it too often in our churches today, in religion, in professing Christianity, evangelicalism, whatever you want to call it, I see too many times just a casualness, just a carelessness, just a way in which it's, it's like God is the genie in the bottle, giving me what I want. And I talk about this therapeutic kind of love that seems to be so prevalent. And I see it in, in politicians and in, in people who claim to be Christians, who claim to be God-fearing people, and they're so weak-kneed and spineless when it comes to clear issues of right and wrong and how, how we need to see God in his place of reverence. Letter E, the burden of sin can have literal physical effects. Go back to Jonah 2, and he talks about the, the floods compassed and the billows and the waves. Now, I'm going to pick on one of the Newton boys over here. I think, I think, did I see Matthew? Yeah, there you are. You're a swimmer, right? Do you ever get into the swimming pool and you get really tired and you're in the middle of the pool and you have a long ways to go and your lungs are burning and your arms are tired? Your lungs don't burn? Okay, all right. But isn't that an awful feeling if you've ever done any swimming? If you've ever been out there in the pool or you've been out on the, the beach, out in the ocean... And you're swimming, and then you realize, I remember one time, I, I, I got a little further out. Uh, I don't know if it was when we were living in Pensacola or if it was just on vacation, but got a little further out than I expected to be. I don't know if it was just the tide or the, the current or what, but that for just that moment, that fear of, uh-oh, I'm a little further out than I expected and I have to get back, okay? I mean, there's the terror of the ocean as he's beginning to drown in the midst of the storm. But then he goes on and he says in verse number five, the waters compassed me about even to the soul. The death closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. He's talking about the physical effects that were the direct result of his sin. The seaweeds wrapped around his head. Now think about some of the physical effects and of sin in our society. We can talk about STDs. We can talk about, dare I say it, monkeypox. Okay? We can talk about some of the diseases and the viruses. We can talk about even drunkenness behind the wheel of a car. We can talk about the misuse of medicines and drugs. We can talk about all kinds of different things. There are physical effects from our sin. And some of those physical effects are not just injuries, but there's the physical, psychological effects. The stresses and the burdens that cause a lot of the mental anguish. And I'm not saying that there isn't legitimate biological mental illness. There is. But many times, the mental illnesses of our culture are the direct result of sinful choices in sinful activities and not dealing with guilt and sin through the peace of God and the mercy of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. Many times the mental illness that is in our culture 
is because sin has not been taken care of biblically. But then there's all of the physical effects that come with sin, the anguish and the guilt. The world wants to think that medicine and shots, and not that we aren't thankful for medical technology, not that we're not thankful for medicine and surgeries and different ways in which medical technology has helped improve life. We're thankful for that. But there are many different consequences of sin that have physical and mental psychological effects that the medicine, the pills, the shots, and the drugs are not going to take care of. It has to come through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the peace of God that comes by a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the literal physical effects of his sin. Letter F, he remembers the Lord, and then letter G, he rejects lying vanities. He goes down in verse 8 that they observe lying vanities. He references those who don't remember the Lord. He said, those who don't remember the Lord, verse 7, they observe, verse 8, lying vanities, and they forsake their own mercy. God wants to bring mercy. God wants to extend his mercy. God is a gracious, loving, compassionate, long-suffering God. The long-suffering of God and the goodness of God bringeth man to repentance, leadeth man to repentance. God wants people to come to him. We see Christ in the book of John as we've been studying through the book of John over and over and over and over again giving the truth to even those who persecute him because he loves them and he wants them to get saved. And those who reject God who will not remember the Lord and his mercy they will pursue lying vanities deceitful emptiness emptiness that deceives. And do we not see that permeating our culture? An emptiness, a shallowness a hollowness, a despair to our culture, to life. Because it's met with all the wrong options. It's deceit. It's the world passing away and the lust thereof. And he says those who continually pursue after those deceitful vanities, those lying vanities, they forsake their own mercy they miss out on the mercy of God that God wants to extend. And I I remember dealing with students through the years, and it it can be a a, a difficult thing. When you see somebody who just continues to rebel and make bad decisions and continues to choose the wrong things and go the wrong direction and make the wrong friends and make the wrong choices and continue to go down that path, You beg and you plead, but eventually they have to face the consequences for their sin. They have to deal with it. They have chosen lying vanities, and they then receive or they forsake their own mercy, the mercy that God would want to extend to them. We'll come to this conclusion in our final minute or two that we have, Jonah's Commitment. In the soul-fainting circumstance, he willingly offers a sacrifice with a voice of thanksgiving. Verse 9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Here he is in this belly of this whale, this great fish, having faced all these consequences in a place of despair, a place where there seems to be no rescue. He cries out to the Lord. He looks to the Lord. And he says, I will sacrifice. 
I will pay that that I have vowed. And Lord help us, if we ever get into that place where we've disobeyed the Lord and he puts us in a place of consequence, that we will look to him and that we will fulfill the vows that we make in the trench or the trenches of life and that we will fulfill them knowing it's going to be a sacrifice. But don't we need, even in the non-soul-fainting circumstances, don't we need to have a better attitude of sacrifice and thanksgiving and a sacrifice of praise to the Lord? I think sometimes we're so casual and we're so complacent and we're so contented that we have forgotten what true sacrifice really is, what true service really is. And it does us good to be reminded of what other believers have had to deal with, both in the, in the Bible, examples in the Bible, as well as those who have been persecuted and are going through persecution. It's a reminder of the sacrifices that we need to make. But when we get into our sin-caused consequential circumstances, we need to look to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I will pay what I have vowed. I will offer that sacrifice. I will fulfill what you have called me to do. I will do what you tell me to do. I will obey. I will return to you. And then he makes that statement, salvation is of the Lord. And then God graciously rescued him. So Jonah's crisis, Jonah's contemplation, and then Jonah's commitment. What a wonderful prayer. I hope that it's been a help and encouragement to us. Let's close in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for the example of Jonah. Lord, it's a story we've heard since our early days of growing up. But Lord, so many lessons, so much that we can learn. Help us, Lord, not to run from the Lord, not to run from you. But Lord, help us to remain faithful and obedient. Help us to remember these principles that you taught Jonah. That, Lord, we will be God-fearing men and women, boys and girls, young people, Lord, who will obey your commands and live for you and experience your mercy and your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Appreciate you, appreciate you being here, your faithfulness, and uh, be in prayer for the building committee and those going down to look at the carpet again, and then we'll uh, be back, Lord willing, together on Sunday. Have a great evening.